Let Me Tell You a Story, podcast number 11. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Call me Ishmael. It was the age of wisdom. Some years ago. It was the age of Never mind. It was a truth how long universally You don't know about me without you. Welcome to Let Me Tell You a Story with hosts Steve and Becky Lyle. Settle back into your seat, step onto your favorite fitness machine, or lace up your walking shoes, and enjoy stories from a variety of genres and authors. Hi, this is Steve. Hi, this is Becky. Welcome to Let Me Tell You a Story. We have another great selection of stories for you in this podcast. So sit back, put up your feet, and have a listen. As my grandmother would say, Steve will begin with a couple chapters from a fun children's book by Angela Ruth Strong titled The Snowball Fight Professional. For all you parents and grandparents out there, our grandchildren love this book, and so will yours. I use just one chapter uh, and maybe do the next uh, chapter two of the next podcast. So chapter one, Rocking in a Winter Wonderland. I hate snow, my dad hunched over the steering wheel, eyes squinting out the windshield, doing a pretty good impersonation of the Grinch. Dad, I admonished, how can you say that? It's great ammunition. It's not so great for visibility. My fingers curled around my new 50-foot rain snowball launcher. It had just come in the mail, and I couldn't wait to try it out. A little Christmas gift to myself, paid for with some of the money I, Joey Michaels, had saved during my water-fighting days. Unfortunately, a two-hour trip into the mountains stood between me and sheer snowball-launching bliss. The good news was that, when we got there, the ground would be covered with a blanket of marvelous snow, By five o'clock, the sun had already set for the day. The way our headlights lit the snowflakes, it looked as if we were traveling through space at light speed. It made me want to pretend we were in a spaceship and my snowball launcher was actually a laser blaster. I aimed at my nine-year-old sister, Christine, and made a laser blaster sound. Bazunga! Mom, Joey's pretending to shoot me with his snowball launcher. Laser blaster, I held up a finger. And I think I accidentally fried your brain because you sound like a dum-dum. Mom, Christine screeched again, practically proving my point. Mom, I echoed. If you can't beat him, join him. Christine is tattling. The car slipped on the road. Christine flew sideways into me. My tummy flipped like I was back in gymnastics and Mom screamed. That was cool. Not the part where Christine flew into me but the part where we slid toward the edge of the road and the river below. Once, my school bus had spun 360 degrees on ice. I still wish I'd been bumper hitching behind it at the time, but at least we were two hours late for school that day. Best school day ever. Mom fanned her her face like she couldn't get enough oxygen. She did that a lot, whether we were careening toward the edge of a cliff or she was discovering... I'd been wearing the same pair of socks for a week. Dad was a little cooler. He muttered under his breath as he regained control of the car. Christine pushed away from me like we were sitting under mistletoe or something. Ew, gross. 
Apparently, she cared more about her proximity to me than her proximity to sudden death. Okay, Mom caught her breath and turned down the radio as if that would help deep, uh, Dad keep the wheels on the road. I would rather she had left the volume up because I liked barking along with the dogs to the tune of Jingle Bells. Kids, let's play the Peace on Earth game, a.k.a. the Quiet Game, her favorite game. If you want a Peace on Earth, Mom, you shouldn't have let Joey spend his money on another weapon. I hugged the snowball launcher close and whispered, Don't listen to her, boy. We are so excited to have you in the family. Mom turned around to face us. Sweetie, it's not a weapon. It's athletic equipment. Yukikasen is a competitive snowball fighting sport in Japan that is spreading around the world. It might even be in the Olympics one day. She recited my argument perfectly. I should be a salesman when I grow up. If uh, if I didn't make it as a pro Yukasaken player, uh, Yukikasen player, <laughs> The whites of Christine's eyes flashed in the dark as she rolled them at me. Dad, I can't believe you let him spend all his money on himself. Not all my money. I had six bucks left. Well, I spent my money on Christmas presents for others. Sure she did. At the grocery store around the corner. I bet she got me Q-tips again so I could clean out my ears to better hear her lectures. Dad cleared his throat. Joe made gifts this year. I smiled my smug middle school smile. Now that I was in seventh grade, I got to take this class called shop. I know it sounded like a class mom and Christine would attend to prepare for the day after Thanksgiving sales, but actually we got to use manly power tools in there. I made a pegboard game for dad, a casserole holder for mom, a birdhouse for Christine, a guitar pick for grandpa, and a picture frame with our last name engraved on it for grandma. Christine crossed her arms and sat back. <laughs> Mom clapped her hands. Since you've all lost the Peace on Earth game, let's take turns saying what we are most looking forward to this Christmas. Dad tapped his brakes and we slowed for a narrow bridge. I'm looking forward to getting through this storm and parking the car. I pressed my lips together to keep from saying, Bah humbug, and patted Dad on the shoulder instead. He'd be a different person when we got to his parents' house, and he was able to sneak some of Grandma's cookies behind Mom's back. That's what he was really looking forward to. Hopefully, he'd swipe me a couple peanut butter reindeer and some peppermint fudge while he was at it. Yeah, Mom was clueless about Dad's sweet tooth. I'm looking forward to helping out with the living nativity. Are you sure you don't want to play the part of Joseph, Joey? You have the perfect name for it. Dad's teeth glinted in the rearview mirror as he cracked his first smile since we climbed into the car. I smiled back. How about I play a shepherd? Then I could use the hook of my staff for a slingshot. A passing car illuminated Mom's worry wrinkle between her eyebrows that only appeared when she was looking at me. Never mind. Christine, what are you excited about? Christine flipped her hair so it slapped me in the face. Ice skating. Can I get one of those fancy ice skating outfits? I imagined myself commandeering a Zamboni and chasing her around the ice rink. But Mom must not have been imagining the same thing. You want to become a figure skater? We could sign you up for lessons and... No. Dad turned up the speed on the windshield wipers. 
not unless she wants to give up her dance lessons or singing lessons or piano lessons. Please, Daddy. Daddy was usually a sucker for Christine's. Please, Daddy. But it didn't override his mental calculator this time. Christine, if you want to take all your Christmas gifts back and use the money to pay for your own lessons, that would be fine. Ouch. Turning the holiday into a business transaction? That was extreme, even for Dad. Mom's head turned Dad's way. He was getting the look, even though it was too dark to see it. Dad must have known. So, Joe, what about you? What are you looking forward to? Besides hoping that I get an Arctic snow shield under the Christmas tree? I chose not to speak the idea aloud in case it hurt my snowball launcher's feelings. The poor guy was probably still smarting from Christine's rejection of him. I looked down at the sleek new addition to my life. Should I name him? He was kind of a pet. Speaking of pets, I'm excited to see Grandma's uh, new husky puppies. Grandma bred huskies. I'd always wanted one, and Dad said I could have one of my own when I saved enough money. But how many snowball launchers could I buy for the price of one of Grandma's puppies? More than 30. It would be a while before I got a dog. Oh, me too, Christine said. I smiled at her. She was a girly girl, but at least we both agreed that Grandma's puppies were the coolest things on earth. Look at you two getting along. Mom twisted all the way around to look at us, though I doubted she could actually see anything in the dark. Are we on 34th Street? Because this is a miracle. Ha ha, I humored Mom. But... That that was as good as her jokes got. Dad chuckled for real. It's not 34th Street, but we are almost to Easy Street. Just one more curve, and then we'll leave this river behind. I looked out the window toward the side of the road that dropped away over an embankment into inky blackness. Not quite as inviting a scene as it had been last summer on a rafting trip. Over the river and through the woods, Mom sang... It had taken more than an hour for her to burst into song. A new record. Christine and I shook our heads sadly at each other. At least we were continuing to agree on things. This might turn out to be a peaceful Christmas after all. To Grandmother's house we... A deer leaped in front of Dad's headlights. Whoa! Mom changed the lyrics, though she wasn't overreacting this time. Tires screeched. I jolted forward, then swayed violently from side to side as our vehicle fishtailed. Christine's shriek pierced the air. I gripped my snowball launcher tighter and ground my teeth together. We were going to be okay. Dad was a safe driver just because it looked like we were headed for the edge of the road. The car jumped as one of the rear tires slid off the edge and slammed the bottom of our car on cement. Thanks, Steve. Fun story. I'm looking forward to chapter two. The next author, Amanda Cabot, moved to Cheyenne, Wyoming about the time we moved away several years ago. I'm sorry we didn't get a chance to meet back then, but one of these days we'll sit down over a cup of tea and have a nice long chat. Amanda's latest release is titled At Blue Bonnet Lake. Here's chapter one. It had to be an April Fool's joke. Any second, Sally would laugh and tell Kate to turn the car around that they weren't really going to spend a month in a place that 
if the front gate was any indication, was in desperate need of an extreme makeover. The drive from San Antonio's International Airport had been easy, the traffic no challenge for a woman accustomed to dealing with the Garden State Parkway and the New Jersey Turnpike. And once they'd left the city itself, the scenery had proven to be even more beautiful than Sally had promised. The rolling tree-covered hills, the lush meadows, even the oversized prickly pear cactus all added to the pastoral beauty. No doubt about it, the Texas Hill Country was beautiful, all except for this particular spot. This was literally the end of the road. After they'd left the tiny town of Dupree, they climbed a hill before descending into one of the prettiest valleys Kate had seen. Then the road had ended abruptly, leaving her with the choice of a U-turn or passing through this gate. Kate had seen similar gates on TV, and they'd always led to the estate of some millionaire. Not this time. She might be in Texas, but this wasn't South Fork. Far from it. This is definitely a joke. And now it was time to admit she'd been fooled. Kate turned to look at her passenger. As she'd expected, Sally was smiling. Unfortunately, it wasn't a fooled you this time, didn't I? Smile. To the contrary, Kate's grandmother radiated happiness. Genuine happiness. Kate's stomach did somersaults at the realization that this was no joke. This was the place Sally expected them to spend the next month. Oh, Kate, it's just the way I remember. The beautiful iron gate with a rainbow on top. The trees. Even the prickly pears are the way I remember them. Kate tried not to sigh. The finish on what Sally called the beautiful iron gate was peeling. The rainbow's colors had faded. The arc that replaced the fabled pot of gold at one end was so bent it was almost unrecognizable. Though she knew that Sally's eyesight was no longer perfect, Kate was certain that the entrance to Rainbow's End hadn't looked like this when her grandmother visited us half-century ago. Sally was seeing what she wanted to see. The trees are beautiful, Kate admitted as she steered her rental car through the gate and onto the resort's private drive. Live oaks and cypresses shaded the badly rutted road and seemed to promise that even the hottest days of July and August would be bearable. Perhaps only the entrance needed work. Perhaps the resort itself would be better. It was not. Kate parked as close as she could to what appeared to be the entrance and tried not to frown. Any resemblance to the Tyrolean cottage in the brochure was pure, purely coincidental. The paint was faded, one of the shutters hung askew, and the flowers in the window box were cheap plastic, as faded as the paint. Whoever had designed the resort's brochure had both a vivid imagination and more than a passing acquaintance with Photoshop. Kate's colleagues would have laughed at this example of faux, F-A-U-X, photography. She wasn't laughing. Are you sure this is the right place? Kate knew she was grasping at straws. There couldn't be another place called Rainbow's End so close to this one. Of course it is. Sally's voice was uncharacteristically sharp as she ran a hand through her tightly curled silver hair in an equally uncharacteristic gesture. Kate felt more than a momentary stab of guilt. Her grandmother had asked very little of her over the years. It was unkind of Kate to even hint that she was less than thrilled to be here, especially given Sally's health. That was, after all, the reason Kate was taking an extended vacation, so that her grandmother could have the trip she dreamed of for so long. There's the door to the office, Sally pointed to a sign that appeared to be relatively new. Let's see which cabin they've given us. Waiting until Sally had swung her legs out of the car and stood, albeit a bit shakily, Kate extended her arm and let Sally grasp it. 
Though Sally hated any show of dependence, the path was uneven, making the few yards treacherous for a woman with poor knees that were already tired from the long trip. Kate opened the door and ushered her grandmother inside the small but seemingly well-appointed office. A computer and a printer shared space with a phone on a long cadenza that housed six file drawers. There was even a vase of fresh flowers on the tall counter separating guests from the working area. There was, however, no sign of, st- of staff. Kate smiled at Sally as she rang the old-fashioned bell on the counter. Her grandmother had had a similar bell at home and had never once complained during the weeks when it was Kate's favorite toy. Within seconds of the bell's ringing, a tall, athletic woman, whom Kate guessed to be in her mid-forties, entered the office. Dressed in cocky slacks and a navy polo shirt with the Rainbow's End logo, she was undoubtedly an employee, and the way she assessed Kate and Sally made Kate suspect she was one of the owners. "'You must be our new guest,' the auburn-haired woman said with a smile. "'I'm Angela Sinclair.' Kate nodded as she recognized the name. According to the brochure, Angela and Tim Sinclair were the proprietors of Rainbow's End. I'm Kate Sherwood, and this is my grandmother, Sally Fuller. Though colleagues found it a bit strange, Kate had not called her grandma since Grandpa Larry's death, when Sally had announced that Kate was old enough to drop the title. Ah, yes. The woman's smile broadened as she looked at Sally. Who wouldn't smile at a petite, silver-haired woman whose plump cheeks made her look like Mrs. Claus? You mentioned that you were a guest here in the past. Angela Sinclair gestured toward the row of file cabinets. I'm sorry, Mrs. Fuller, but I couldn't find the records. Sally's laugh filled the room. That's probably because it was such a long time ago. Dinosaurs were still roaming the earth then. Oh, I doubt that. Angela chuckled as she pulled a key from the rack over the credenza. My husband and I have owned Rainbow's End for five years, but we have records going back another decade. Not far enough. Sally leaned forward and cupped her hand around one side of her mouth, as if she were about to impart a state secret. I was here 50 years ago. Her eyes widening in surprise, Angela nodded. We'll get some repeat business, but you're the first from that far back. Welcome to Rainbow's End, she said, apparently realizing that she hadn't formally greeted them. Tim and I are glad you've decided to return. Angela pulled out a map and circled a square. I've put you in number 12. For the first time since they'd entered the office, Sally's smile faded, making Kate wonder what was bothering her. She didn't have to wait long for an answer. The cabins have numbers? Sally reached for the old-fashioned iron key and slid it into the front pocket of her purse. When Larry and I were here, they were named for people from the Bible. We stayed in Joshua, right on Blue Bonnet Lake. Angela lowered her eyes, clearly uncomfortable with some aspect of the conversation. I see. Tim and I made a few changes, and that was one of them. When we saw that the signs needed to be repainted, we decided it would be easier to replace them with new metal numbers. Cheaper, too. Judging from what Kate had seen so far, Rainbow's End was not exactly flourishing. She studied the map for a second. I'm sure number 12 will be lovely. It looks easy enough to find. With a quick nod, Angela handed Kate a second sheet of paper. All the information is here. You know we're on the Modified American Plan. Supper's at 6. Breakfast is a buffet from 7 to 8.30. On Sunday, we serve a midday meal instead of a supper. Her face once more beaming, Sally touched Kate's arm. It's just the way I remembered. Oh, Kate, I'm so glad we came. And so was Kate, if it made her grandmother this happy. But as she drove the short distance to the cabin, Kate's doubts resurfaced. Are you sure this will be all right? She asked as she pulled into the parking space on the east side of the building and checked the odometer. 
It's a tenth of a mile to the dining room. Sally gripped her purse with both hands. I'm not an invalid, Kate. It's true, Dr. Morrison, Dr. Morrison said my heart isn't as strong as it used to be, but I can certainly walk to meals. Sally's cheeks flushed, and Kate wondered if it was from the realization that this story was significantly different from the one she'd told when she was trying to convince, convince Kate they should come here. At that time, Sally claimed the doctor believed her heart was so weak that she might be unable to travel in another year. Wondering if she'd been manipulated, Kate raised an eyebrow. Dr. Morrison told me moderate exercise is good, her grandmother said, sounding a bit defensive. Besides, this cabin looks as, del as delightful as Joshua, and it's bigger. I think I remember hearing that all the cabins along the lake front had only one bedroom. Sally tipped her head in the opposite direction, her change of subject telling Kate she had no intention of continuing the, the discussion of her health today. Kate had to admit that their cabin appeared to be in better shape than the office, perhaps because it was constructed out of field stone. Although she had seen only a few of the cabins, it seemed that each was unique, which gave Rainbow's End a surprisingly charming hodgepodge look. Rough-hewn wood, painted cinder blocks, stucco, and even what appeared to be genuine logs might have seemed haphazard, as if the original owners had no idea what they wanted for the resort. But somehow the cabins blended together, perhaps because they all had the same gray metal roofs. Number 12 was larger than most of its neighbors, and like them it boasted a front porch that seemed to beg for rocking chairs. Kate could picture herself and Sally sitting there, watching for the birds that Sally claimed were one of the area's attractions. According to Sally, if they were lucky, they'd see everything from kingfishers to goldfinches to painted bunnings. But first, they needed chairs. Sally would ask for them as soon as she got Sally. Kate would ask for them as soon as she got Sally settled in the cabin. Let me take a quick look, she said to her grandmother, holding out her hand for the key. There's no point in you getting out if we have to change cabins. Sally pursed her lips. I told you I'm not an invalid. Of course you're not, but you are the stubborn woman who refused to ride through the terminals. You can deny it all you want, but I know you're tired. Her grandmother nodded. All right, I'll let you be the boss this time. That was a first. As images of the resource dilapidated entrance sign flashed before her, Kate decided to examine all sides of the cabin's exterior before venturing indoors. The front and the east side looked fine. She rounded the corner to the rear and stopped abruptly, startled by the sight of a man on a ladder, doing something to the window screen. There was nothing remarkable about him. Kate suspected that most of the men in this part of the country wore jeans and chambray shirts, and while many sported cowboy hats, a baseball cap like this man's wouldn't alert the fashion police. Even his height, at least six feet, and the dark brown hair that appeared in need of a good cut weren't uncommon here. As she and Sally had made their way through the airport, Kate had spotted plenty of dark, tall, dark-haired men who obviously saw no reason to spend $100 at a fancy salon. "'Is there something wrong?' she asked after clearing her throat. The last thing she needed was to have the man tumble off the ladder and blame her. While Texans might admonish each other to drive friendly, she doubted they were any less litigious than her New Jersey neighbors, who'd been quick to sue their landlord when they tripped on a loose piece of carpet.' The man turned and shrugged, and in that instant Kate revised her assessment. There was something remarkable about, remarkable about this man. It wasn't his green eyes, nor was it the square chin that kept him from being, a movie, from being movie star handsome. It was his attitude. Though his shrug was nonchalant, there was something about the tilt of his head and the way he regarded her that told Kate this man was used to being in charge. What a ridiculous thought. 
That kind of guy wouldn't be working as a handyman at a rundown resort. Nor would he. With the last recession, that was possible. Nothing's wrong, he said in a voice that bore no trace of a Texas drawl. As long as you like flying insects and maybe a bat or two in your room, he pointed to a sizable hole in the screen. It'll only take a few minutes to patch this. Though Kate knew that tourists flocked to Austin to see the bats that hung around, literally, on one of the bridges, she had no desire to see one up close and personal. Thanks. We'd prefer bat-free accommodations. As she started to ask what else might be wrong here, she shook her head. That was one question best left unanswered. She completed the circuit of the cabin, finding nothing to alarm her until she reached the front and saw Sally struggling to remove one of her suitcases from the trunk. Sally, I... Let me help you, ma'am. The handyman must have decided that a woman who shuddered at the thought of bats needed assistance, for he had abandoned his ladder and was now approaching. Sally move, sa, was approaching Sally, moving with an easy gait. Just as easily, he extracted the large wheeled bag from the trunk. Thank you, young man. I appreciate your help. I hate to admit it, but these bones aren't as young as they used to be. From Sally, that was a huge admission. My name's Greg, and I'm glad to help you, ma'am. His courtesy earned him a smile from Kate, from Sally, and Kate's admiration. The men she dated had not always been so polite to her grandmother. When Greg reached the top of the stairs, he waited for Kate to unlock the door, then pushed it open. Where would you like me to put the bags? Kate took a quick look around the cabin, feeling herself relax when she saw that it was spotlessly clean and seemingly free of bats and other winged creatures. Comprised of a small living area with a sofa and two chairs, a shelf filled with books and a few board games, two bedrooms and a bath, the cabin was far from luxurious, but would be adequate for their stay. Right here is fine, she said, pointing to an open area near the front door. I'll let my grandmother choose her room. Though the bedrooms were of equal size and virtually identical with nondescript furnishings, Sally might have a preference. My, this is nice. To Kate's dismay, though there were only three steps leading to the porch, Sally was slightly out of breath. As images of heart attacks whirled through her brain, Kate forced herself to inhale deeply. There could be a less ominous cause. Sally wasn't used to flying. Perhaps that was the reason for her apparent fatigue. Kate's grandmother flashed Greg a smile that bore no hint of alarm. Thank you, young man. Greg, he reminded her before he turned to Kate. As Sally began to explore the cabin, he asked, Would you like me to bring in your bags, too? His voice was low and well-modulated. If Kate had had to guess, she would have said it was a product of an expensive education. That increased her belief that Greg had lost his job and was filling in here until he found another position. The question was, what had he done before? He didn't look like a lawyer or a financial planner. At least not the one she'd met, but he moved with more assurance than most junior-level managers. Realizing she'd been staring and hadn't answered his question, Kate shook her head. The screen is more important. She reached into her purse and pulled out her wallet, intending to tip him. Greg shook his head, then brushed back the errant lock that had tumbled over his forehead when he removed his hat. No need for that. As I told your grandmother, I'm glad to help. Though she doubted working at Rainbow's Inn paid more than minimum wage, Kate wouldn't insult Greg. She simply smiled and thanked him for his efforts. As soon as he'd left, she turned to her grandmother. Sally had given the bedrooms a cursory glance, chosen the one that faced the front of the cabin, then settled into one of the overstuffed chairs that flanked the large window. Are you sure you want to stay here? Kate asked. Other than the helpful and handsome handyman, Kate had seen no reason to spend even one night, much less the entire month of April, here. 
Sally ran her hair through her curls again as she nodded. I'm as sure as I've ever been of anything. It's not just my heart and the feeling that time is short, she said. Her expression as solemn as the day she'd taken Kate into the kitchen, given her a cup of hot chocolate, even though it was early May, and told her that Grandpa Larry had died. We need the time here, Sally continued. I know you didn't want to leave your job for so long. She gave Kate one of those long looks that always made Kate uncomfortable because they seemed to see deep inside her. You probably think your boss bosses will decide they don't need you. If this is the right job for you, it'll be there in a month. It is the right job. Kate was a, as convinced of that as she was that Rainbow's End was not a five-star resort. That was why she'd do whatever it took to keep Heather and Nick Maddox satisfied with her performance. Sally would disapprove, and so Kate had decided she wouldn't tell her grandmother, grandmother that, although she was technically on vacation, she had agreed to check messages daily in case there was something Heather or Nick needed her to handle. Though Kate had completed all of her projects, the advertising agency was small enough that one person's extended absence would make a difference in the daily running. Instead of having separate departments like larger companies, everyone at Maddox and Associates did a little of everything. That was one of the things Kate liked about the firm where she spent the past four years. You know I wasn't happy at the big agency. Even though it had been one of Grandpa had been the one Grandpa Larry had claimed was the best, it had not been a good fit for Kate. Maddox and Associates is perfect for me. Nick and Heather are great bosses, and everything they do is ethical. Kate frowned as she wondered who had done Rainbow's Ends advertising. The pictures in the brochure verged on deceptive. While it was true that any organization would choose photographs taken from the best possible angle, the ones for Rainbow's End were more than flattering. They were false. I love my job, Kate told her grandmother, and they seem happy with me. Heather's even hinted that I'm being considered for a partnership. That had been Kate's dream for almost as long as she could remember. She'd grown up with Grandpa Larry's stories of the challenge of advertising, and they'd convinced her that that was the career she wanted. Maddox, which combined business consulting with advertising, had turned Kate's dream into reality. Sally smiled. You see, I was right. They'll miss you while you're gone, but they won't replace you. They'll just realize how much they depend on you. Meanwhile, you and I will have a wonderful time here. And then she paused, her expression once again more solemn. The future's in God's hands. Let's stay here. All right, Sally, you win. The truth was, Kate would do almost anything for the woman who'd raised her. If Sally wanted them to spend a month here, they would. As she started to unpack her suitcases, Kate tried to put a a positive spin on the day. Perhaps Rainbow's End wasn't as bad as she thought. But though she gave herself a pep talk, her heart didn't believe it. Our daughter-in-law, Jessica Lyles, who recently made an audio recording of the second book in Becky's Kate Nielsen series, is our next reader. Audio by 24 Sound can be found at audio, or rather at 24sound.com. Uh, Jessica is going to read the, f- the first chapter of Winds of Freedom. For those who enjoy listening to books, Jessica really did a good job. Winds of Wyoming and Winds of Freedom are both available in audiobook format on Amazon and Audible. Sample, expert, uh, sample excerpts are provided so you can listen before you purchase. Chapter 1 
Kate Nilsson Duncan knocked a second time on her great aunt's front door. She waited a moment and then turned to her husband, Mike, who stood beside her on the wide veranda. When I called last night, Aunt Mary said she'd be home all day. Give her some time. She never moves fast. Mike aimed his chin at a little boy riding by on a tricycle. Cute kid. Like Kate, the boy wore shorts and a t-shirt on the warm October day. He steered the trike with one hand and pulled a clattering wagon with the other, carefully negotiating the bumpy sidewalk that bordered the old house. But then he lost his grip on the wagon and stopped beneath the wide branches of an autumn-laced maple tree to retrieve the handle. As he bent down, a wind gust swirled a kaleidoscope of leaves over his head and onto the porch. The breeze lifted Kate's hair, set a rocking chair in motion, and scattered the leaves across the neighbor's lawn. She brushed a wayward strand from her cheek and was about to knock again when the lock clicked and the deadbolt began to retract, metal rasping against metal. Finally, the door opened. Kate could see the chain that stretched the narrow gap between the door and the doorframe, but she couldn't see her aunt. Mike pointed toward the bottom of the door, where a wiggling, sniffing black nose poked through at ankle height. Aunt Mary's dog had always been more of a sniffer than a barker. If you're selling Florida grapefruit, a woman's voice quavered, I'll tell you what I say every year. My husband's stomach cannot tolerate citrus, so please don't come back. God bless you like he blessed Queen Esther. Goodbye. Before her aunt could shut them out, Kate shoved her sandal into the crack. Aunt Mary, it's me, Kate. A frizz of white hair appeared in the narrow opening, and Kate could see Mary squinting at her. Katie? My sweet Katie Joy. Mary unhooked the chain lock, opened the door, and held out her arms. Kate hugged her bony frame, all the while thanking God her aunt recognized her. After the last phone call, in which she'd asked three times who she was, Kate was prepared for the worst. The older woman leaned back. You cut off your beautiful brown hair. It was this length at the wedding, shoulder length. Something cold and wet touched the back of Kate's knee. She jumped. Prissy, you startled me. Mary shook her finger at the dog. You leave Katie alone. The curly-haired cockapoo dropped her tail between her legs and sidled over to Mike knelt on one Levi-clad knee to pet the dog. Kate kissed Mary's soft cheek. I'm so glad to see you again, Aunt Mary. You're looking great, not even using your walker. Her aunt had developed multiple sclerosis in her fifties, but she hadn't relied on a walker until recent years. The older woman's sea-green eyes twinkled. She grasped Kate by the shoulders. Just don't let go. Kate rotated them both toward Mike, who patted Prissy's head and stood. Aunt Mary, Kate said, do you remember my husband, Mike? Mary squinted at the tall blonde man for a long moment, and then she smirked. How could I forget such a handsome brute? Kate grinned. It wasn't often she got to see her husband blush. Mike took Mary's hand from Kate's shoulder and kissed her fingers. And I haven't forgotten you either, pretty lady. Mary beamed. Okay, you two, enough flattery. Kate led Mary to her chair in the living room and helped her sit. She could tell her aunt didn't recognize Mike. Thank God she led him into her home, despite her confusion. Kate sat on the couch beside Mike. Time for us to get down to business. Mary peered at them over the top of her glasses. Business? The business of getting you moved from Pittsburgh to the Whispering Pines Ranch in Wyoming. Remember how much you like it there? Mary picked up a newspaper and began to noisily fold it. Chrissy climbed into Mike's lap. Mike whispered, 
It smells weird in here. I don't think it's the dog. Kate nodded. She couldn't put her finger on the odor. Maybe it had something to do with her aunt's aging body, or maybe she'd forgotten to bathe. Though she'd had MS for a long time, the forgetfulness was new. How many boxes have you filled, Aunt Mary? Boxes? We need to pack your things for the move. But before we go, we'll have a garage sale for stuff you don't need. Have you been sorting? Sorting? Kate glanced at Mike. The dimple in his cheek twitched. This was going to be more difficult than she'd expected. Don't you worry about a thing, Aunt Mary. We'll take care of the details. And Amy will join our work crew in a couple hours. Who's that? She's... How could her aunt forget the animated redhead? Amy is my best friend. She visits you every week. And she flew to Wyoming with you when Mike and I got married. She was my maid of honor, remember? Mary compressed her lips and began to pick at a fingernail. Well, anyway, when Amy gets here, we'll order a pizza and have a moving party. Kate couldn't wait to see her friend again. They'd met in prison and supported each other through a host of challenges. Lately, she'd sensed desperation in Amy's voice when they talked on the phone. Although she was usually upbeat, she hadn't found a job to replace the one she lost almost six months ago. Kate was afraid her impulsive friend would leap at whatever employment came along, good or bad. She knew from experience that unhealthy employment opportunities were often more abundant than good options for ex-felons. Moving? Eyebrows pinched, eyes darting. Mary scrutinized her living room as if seeing it anew. From my friends? My neighborhood? My home? Her voice rose with each question. From my prayer room? From Prissy? Kate's heart lurched. She knew the sting of being ripped from all that was familiar. Though they'd talked often on the phone about selling her aunt's home, the conversations must have gotten lost in her head. We'll take the desk and phone from your prayer room, and we'll take Prissy with us too. She'll like living in the country, Mike grunted. Kate knew what he was thinking. If the coyotes don't eat her. She rubbed the dog's furry head before standing. We'll take this one step at a time. How about I make us some tea? Her aunt loved green tea. Mary's face brightened. That sounds wonderful. Let's all have a nice cup of tea. In the kitchen, Kate filled the teapot with water and placed it on the stove. Sensing warmth from a nearby pan, she picked up the lid to find dry carrots and crinkled peas beginning to brown. So that's what they smelled. She shut off the gas and moved the pan to another burner to cool. Aunt Mary, have you done any baking lately? Um, well, I... I'm not sure. Don't get up. I'll check the fridge. The first thing Kate saw when she opened the door was a big pan of brownies with a corner piece missing. The second was a platter of hot dogs, stacked layer upon layer, pyramid style. She stared at the pile. Had to be at least three dozen wieners in the mound. Her aunt hobbled into the kitchen, pushing her walker. Kate laughed. You don't take orders very well. Mary peered into the open refrigerator. I forget why I came in here. I asked if you'd baked anything recently, and you did. The brownies smell wonderful. Kate slid the pan from the fridge. But all these hot dogs surprised me. I didn't know you liked them so much. Mary's eyebrows lowered. I don't like them. Not one bit. Your Uncle Dean is the wiener lover. Buys them by the bushel and eats at least a dozen a day. But he's not... Oh, that obstinate man. Mary pursed her lips. 
He's been sneaking off to Jimmy's long dog stand in front of the library again. Pays that bandit's outlandish prices, and we have plenty here, she wrinkled her nose. Throw them out before they turn green. Uncle Dean died years ago. Surely these aren't his. Mary glared at her. Don't talk about your uncle that way, Katie Joy, and don't argue with me. I'm not in the mood. She reversed her walker and started for the living room. Kate frowned. What was that about? It wasn't like her aunt to be snippy, or to talk as if Uncle Dean was alive. Mary paused at the doorway between the two rooms. Well, hello, young man. Her voice was cheery again. Did Katie let you in? Uh-oh. Aunt Mary had already forgotten Mike. Uh, yes, she did. Kate could hear surprise in his voice. We're good friends. Kate sniggered. I certainly hope so. That's nice. Mary rolled her walker into the living room. I read the book of Esther this morning. Esther in the Bible? The very one. It's quite an interesting story about a young Jewish woman who became queen of Persia way back when. Do you know how that happened? The king wanted a new... Kate set the brownies on the counter and took out the hot dogs. Glad she'd been given permission to toss them in the garbage. Only God knew how old they were. She dumped the pile into the garbage can under the sink and closed the refrigerator door. She'd been concerned about uprooting her aunt from her vintage Pittsburgh neighborhood and taking her to their mountainside guest ranch. Now it was obvious she needed someone to keep an eye on her. Kate broke off a piece of brownie. Thank God for Mike and her sweet mother-in-law, Laura, who would help her watch over Aunt Mary. Caring for a confused person with MS could be a challenge. She bit into the brownie and choked. Ugh, salt. Lots of salt. She turned on the faucet and spit the bite into the garbage disposal. The teapot began to whistle, the tone starting low and then rising. In the living room, Mary stopped her story. Uh-oh, fire truck coming this way. Better check the police scanner in my prayer room. Kate set her mug on the porch and rested her elbows against the gray painted step behind her. Basking in the breeze that came up just then, she watched leaves on the big maple tree surrender to random blusters. The red and orange clusters twirled and danced to the ground to carpet the lawn like a colorful quilt. Amy Iverson leaned back against the same step. Sure feels good to sit. Kate smiled. You can say that again. Sure feels good to sit. Kate chuckled. I asked for that. Amy threw back her head and laughed. Sunlight glistening off her auburn hair. Prissy crept over to inspect Kate's cup. Amy flicked her fingers at the dog. Get your snout out of Kate's cider. The little dog dropped to her stomach, placed her head between her paws, and ogled Amy with woebegone eyes, half hidden by silky curls. Oh, you silly puppy. She pulled the dog under her lap. Now your feelings are hurt. Amy looked at Kate. Much as I hesitate to say it, this might be a good time to tackle the attic. Kate groaned. You going to make me leave this beautiful yard to crawl inside a hot, dusty attic? Seems like a good time to work up there while your aunt is napping. Amy set Prissy on the porch and stood. Good point. Seems like she takes stuff out of boxes faster than we put it in. Do you think she'll try to climb the ladder to the attic? I hope not, but you never know. Kate massaged her lower back. What are we going to do with her things? All of a sudden, she's against having a garage sale even though she's said for years she needs to get rid of stuff. Doesn't make sense. Except I was told people with dementia want to hang on to everything familiar.
I understand. You and me both. Kate picked up her cup. Prison makes a person cling to what little they have. Yeah. Amy held out her hand to help Kate to her feet. But we moved on, and we have to help your aunt move on. The more I'm around her, the more I'm convinced she needs to be with you. Inside the house, they tiptoed up the stairs past Mary's bedroom. At the end of the hallway, Kate pulled the rope to lower the attic ladder, praying the grate of metal against wood wouldn't be too loud. Amy picked up Prissy and started to climb the ladder. Kate whispered, Why are you taking the dog? Amy leaned toward her, so she won't disturb Aunt Mary's nap. Kate suspected Amy's love for animals was the real reason. Yet, the longer Aunt Mary slept, the more they'd accomplish. She followed her friend up the ladder and clambered into the musty garret, just in time to muffle a sneeze into the crook of her elbow. Let's open windows to get some airflow. Amy deposited the dog on the floor. I'm not sure we can reach the windows. This place is a jungle of junk. Put on your pith helmet, get out your machete, and go for it. As quietly as they could, they shoved their way in opposite directions and managed to prop open two small casements. The next step was to slide items away from the floor opening to make room for the empty boxes Mike was rounding up. Prissy trotted from one tantalizing smell to another, nose wiggling, tail wagging. Amy laughed. Bet she's never been up here. She swept her hand over the attic's eclectic contents. How do you want to tackle this? Kate picked up a mixer. One beater dingled from its cracked case. Let's make a pile for worthless stuff like this and other stacks of like items we can box together. You know, all the books together, pictures in another group, Uncle Dean's comic books in a pile, and whatever else we find similar, like Aunt Mary's needlework projects. They worked in silence for a time, digging through old stacks, forming new ones. When they were close enough to talk without raising their voices, Kate said, Too bad your boss closed the stables. Grooming horses was a perfect job for you. Do you have any other possibilities? Nada. You know how hard it is for ex-felons to find employment? Amy tilted her head. I've been meaning to ask, how did you get on at Whispering Pines so easy? Kate pointed upward. It was a god thing. The internship application didn't require criminal history, and Laura didn't ask for a background check. I need to find something like that. I wish we could hire you at the ranch, but we don't keep many people on staff during the off-season. She lifted a lid from the shoebox. Marbles. Dozens of marbles of every size and color. Why do you think they kept marbles? Maybe your uncle saved them when he was a kid. Kate surveyed the toys and puzzles. Magazines and tools scattered across the attic floor. He apparently saved everything from the day he was born until the day he died. A puff of air blew through the room, leaving a dust cloud in its wake. She sneezed again. Amy patted her arm. Bless you. Thanks. Kate rubbed her nose with the back of her hand. Any chance you'd be able to make it on unemployment until next spring, when we could hire you for the tourist season? I'd love that. More than anything. Especially if you hire another bunch of good-looking single cowboys, like Clint Barrett. Last I heard, Clint and Cyrus Moore's daughter Susan are still seeing each other. Yeah, I figured as much. Just saying. Anyway, I promised my sister Elena she can move in with me after I find a job. Besides the fact that she and my aunt, the one who took Elena and my brother in when our mom left us, don't get along. She wants to attend the University of Pittsburgh. 
I'd bet you'd love to be with your sister again. Amy smiled. I'm excited, but I already have my dogs and cats to feed. So I want to be sure we can make it financially before she joins me. Don't forget your parrots. I can never forget Orville and Wilbur, or my guinea pig. You and your menagerie, Kate chuckled. You even have them on your legs. Cute idea to tattoo Orville on one leg and Wilbur on the other. Amy stretched to examine the backs of her calves. The artist did a good job, didn't he? He did. Good color, best I've seen. They'd look better if my legs were long like yours. Kate laughed. No way. They're perfect on you. Are you going to have the artist do your other animals? Not till I get a good paying job. These things cost a fortune. Have you applied at the zoo? Amy huffed. The human resources lady didn't even try to hide the fact she thought I might do something despicable to the animals, or to the kids who visit the zoo, just because I spent time behind bars. Ouch, that hurts. It's just as well. I was afraid they'd make me feed the snakes and clean their cages. She made a face. I hate snakes. I wouldn't like that either. Kate searched through a pile for the mate to a shoe. I'm sorry you have to go through the job hunting humiliation again and again. Maybe I'll call the number on that ad I told you about. Kate opened her mouth, but Amy held up her hand. I know, I know. It sounds too good to be true. Can't hurt to check it out. She shoved a mound of used clothing aside. Besides, sometimes beggars can't be choosers. Be care- Hey, your name is on this box. Really? Kate scrambled over an old bicycle to gawk at the words printed neatly across the top of the carton. Catherine Joy Nielsen. Aunt Mary hadn't mentioned storing a box of her stuff in the attic. Was it something she'd left at a foster family's house? Amy picked up a stained shirt and wiped dust off the top. Don't just stare at it, Kate. Open it. Thank you, Jessica. And thanks for listening. Until next time, happy reading. Thanks for listening. You can find more of Becky Lyles under the pen name Rebecca Carey Lyles. Her most recent novels, Winds of Wyoming and Winds of Freedom, have both won awards and made the Amazon bestselling list. Steve, well, he just really needs to get his stuff published. If you have comments or suggestions, send them to story at beckyliles.com. Tune in next week for more tall tales and fun fables at Let Me Tell You a Story.